who who downvotes a joke on Reddit? <laughs> who does that? In the programming humor, humor humorless people. Uh, poor Can't Michael. Win. Poor Michael. <laughs> You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode thirteen. Subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcasting app. And uh, visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. Follow us on Twitter at codingblocks and on Facebook at facebook.com slash codingblocks. And if you can't remember those, just go to www.codingblocks.net and we have all the social links at the top of the site. What, what? Yeah. All right, and with that, welcome to Coding Blocks. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. A real quick note before we get into this episode. We had initially intended for this to go just one episode, but it ended up being a little over two hours in length. So we decided to split this up so that you guys could actually get grasp of what we're saying without being inundated with just a ton of information. So without further ado, here we go. Today, let's get started with some podcast news. Uh, the first one is, and this is kind of relevant to this particular show we're doing, is I had a an article I put together about database schemas thought on on product catalogs and attributes. So we'll have a link in the uh, show notes for that so that you can go over there and take a look at it. This was the blog article that was about uh, uh, like how, how to define like multiple products, how to create a database schema for multiple product types. Yeah, and, and list their different attributes. So, you know, maybe a motherboard has a certain chipsets and, you know, memory has whatever. So just ways of thinking about the schema for that. It's like, do you do it one to many? You know, do, you, do, you go, do you go deep? You know, in, in terms of like row counts, or do you go wide in terms of column count, or do you go d, or do you go large in the number of tables? And I didn't get into that into the oh, uh, yeah. into the article, but we, we might talk about that a little bit more in a little while. Yep. And uh, last week we talked a little bit, well, we talked a lot a bit about JavaScript and and what it's like to work on JavaScript and large uh, applications. So uh, Eric Lippert actually just put out a really nice. It's not really an article, but uh, we'll have a link to it in the show notes. And uh, next week. Monday specifically, we'll be going to the Atlanta Build Guild. That's uh, that's we're looking forward to that. That sounds exciting. Yeah, we'll also have a link in the show notes for that. Also, we got a question from somebody on Twitter regarding MVC versus web forms, and we all kind of have something to say about that. First, I want to reference though in our OWASP episode, we did bring that out there just in regards to security, and the MVC already out of the box for all its controls and codes. HTML for you when it comes back out and you're putting it on the page and you don't have to do anything explicitly for that. So that's already well, one thing. Let's let's backtrack a moment though, because specifically the the question was something along the lines of I can't remember it exactly. Does does um, does anybody still, does does it still have it? Does WebForms still have its place, or should you just pursue MVC? Yeah, something along that in yeah. that vein. Yeah, and, and personally, I think that if you are going starting from scratch, MVC is the way to go. For a number of reasons, uh, the first one being though is your separation. Like pretty much, web forms almost forces you to have somewhat of spaghetti code because you have your things in your code behind, then you have your things on the page, and they all get mixed up. Whereas MVC, you could literally have a designer working on the look of your site. You have somebody working on the the business programming portion of it, and then you have your controller actions that kind of links them all up. So. It's also built with testing in mind, which is really nice. And yeah, I would say, you know, there's plenty of web for web forms work around. There's plenty of open source projects that are built around web forms. You know, there's no shortage. It's certainly not dead. 
But I think if I was starting a new project, definitely MVC. And if there are a few things that Webforms does better, I would just deal with it. Yeah, and so that was that was when I saw this question. Where I was thinking of is like if it's if it's Greenfield, absolutely MVC all day long, you know. And uh, you know, but unless unless you're coming in to deal with something legacy and it's Webforms, then you might be stuck. Now, if it's if it's a small enough project and you can do your client the favor and go ahead and do the upgrade without any major ramifications, then maybe that's something you want to consider. But if it's a large scale application, then that might not even be something you can put on the table. The only thing that I that I will put in in WebForbes uh, camp, I'll say, is if you had a group of Windows programmers that needed to port something over to the web, so their skill sets are more linked to that type of programming, which is what WebForms grew out of, anyways, right? It was Windows programmers they were trying to convert to the web. So if you have a bunch of resources like that and you don't have actual uh, .NET web developer type people, then maybe you go web form simply because you have a skill set that transfers over easily. But if you actually have a team of people that know HTML, know JavaScript, CSS, all that kind of stuff, there's no question you should go MVC. Now, now here's the trick question. What about combining them? Uh, if you've got a legacy web forms app and you want to do something new, absolutely. But putting web forms into MVC, I would just say just yeah, suffer. yeah. Don't do the other. Don't do the inverse. But if you wanted to add MVC to web forms to take advantage of that, now you will run into some problems. <laughs> you got your routing issues and all that. So, so I've actually done this, and and you, know, it was a time where like you're bringing in new code and you wanted to, you know, you're trying to migrate things to go the new way. Um, but it was a little bit tricky. So, so one of the things that you're going to run into is like anything existing is going to be scrapped. You're not going to be able to reuse any of your web form controls inside of that. So that's something to, to consider. You know, it would have to be limited purpose that, you know, if you were going to like bring this into a monster uh, existing legacy app. But, uh, you know, and then the other trick to make that work though, and I don't know the GUID off the top of my head, but you can Google for it, is that in your existing uh, web forms project, you would have to add in an additional GUID into it. So you'd have to manually edit it in a, uh, notepad or something like that and uh, add that GUID in there so that Visual Studio would recognize that this could have controllers and, hmm. and things like that in it uh, in order for it to work. Yeah, it can be done. But going back to this question, like if you were going to start off, oh yeah, all three definitely. of us would say go MVC Greenfield. if possible. Yeah, and I would say even uh, you know if you've got developers who aren't familiar with the web and they're kind of trying to go the web form route because of the view state and because it makes things easier, I would say uh, it's a good oh, time God. to start learning web development. <laughs> you know, it's it's quite popular these days. Yeah, can you imagine like really trying to talk somebody into bringing in view state? Oh man, I view state drives me crazy. I know it does a lot of good and, and I get it, but man, as someone who kind of um, you know like learned HTML before .NET. It really drove me crazy. They kind of abstracted away all that stuff that you know that works all right without it. Yeah, that's that's the one very frustrating thing is is they try and get you to use all their controls, so you have very little control yourself over what's happening. And by the way, the person who brought that up was Brock Signori, maybe I'm not sure if I said that right, but yeah, it was at Brock Beat though. I could say that. Okay, there we go. At Brock Beat, B-R-O-C-B-E-A-T. The one name we get to say that I could actually pronounce, and you guys take it from me. Yeah, right. so um, thanks for the question, Brock. Uh, hopefully that answers it for you. And if not, you know, ask us some more. <laughs> we'll respond. Yep, and uh, actually we uh, we mentioned a few links already, like Build Guild and whatnot and uh, the dynamic languages. But I uh, wanted to mention, uh, Raj, so tweet, 
mentioned on Twitter that we have decent show notes and uh, wanted to let you guys know if, uh, in case you haven't heard, that we do put a lot of links and show notes and everything for every episode. So rather than trying to write this stuff down, you can just go to the website, www.coningbox.net slash episode number, or, or just go to the homepage. You can find it. There's tons of links and other stuff. Yeah, and, and we, we weren't trying to laugh at his expense, but it is Tweety actually said, man, I've been rewinding and, and taking notes and rewinding and taking notes. We were like, oh, yeah, sorry, dude. <laughs> you should have just gone up because we literally, everything in here, this isn't like other podcasts where people just talk and then it disappears. You can go up and pretty much everything we mentioned on this show is going to make its way into the show notes. So we should also miss and mention in that vein, though, we've actually talked about possibly doing uh, transcriptions of the shows, too. So yeah. maybe if somebody knows of a good uh, service or something like that, they could hit us up on uh, Twitter or on the site or something. Hit us up at comments at codingblocks.net and uh, let us know if you know of uh, a good service for that. Yep. Or if you just want to come to our contact form. We never mentioned that, but you come to www.codingblocks.net. And just hit contact us and type in the information there. So either which way, if you want to open up your email client or you just want to go to the site, either way. Yep. And while we're talking about Twitter, I uh, wanted to mention uh, a couple things I've been tweeting like crazy about. The Steam summer sale just happened. So if you're a gamer, um, then you know I feel for you because it was brutal this year. I spent a ton of money. I bought a bunch of games I haven't even installed yet. You in trouble? And, <laughs> no. Um, the, the wife doesn't listen to the show, so <laughs> you know shh, our little secret. But um, my favorite one no I one got will hear it. was uh, Divinity Original Sin. Now, if you're an old school RPG fan, stuff like um, Fallout or Baldur's Gate, whatever, if you're you know that kind of nerd, then this game is right up your alley. Ooh. You're gonna love it. Just came out. Um, you're gonna love it. And um, I was I was just thinking about this because I finally tried Steam streaming, which is the thing where you can like stream games from another computer to your laptop or whatever. So I am playing this game on my laptop while the game's actually running upstairs and I'm doing it over wireless and it's perfect, especially with a turn-based game like this. It's been fantastic. Okay, not like an FPS. You wouldn't be able to do that more than likely. That would be rough, but it, it works surprisingly uh, much better than I ever thought it would. Very cool. Uh, that might be a possibility. Maybe not soon. Maybe if I had a, you know, a plugged-in Ethernet cable, it might, might be better, but yeah, I won't be playing Payday 2 anytime there, but <laughs> anytime soon. All right. Well, we also went to the a Xamarin meetup here recently. Uh, we had a lot of a lot of great information that we got from that, and it was a lot of uh, it was very interesting hearing what other developers were doing with Xamarin and how they were using it. Um, if you're not already familiar with Xamarin, Xamarin is a uh, tool that allows you to write your C sharp code, but then cross compile that into uh, an Android. Uh, application or a iOS application, so you could have you know right you know the ultimate goal here, right? You write it one time and run it everywhere, and that's uh that that's the hope and goal with Xamarin. Wait, best part, you write it in C sharp and run it anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that and is you, cool. And you can use Visual Studio. Yes. So the, a couple of interesting things. We're not going to go in this fully in depth because this show is not about Xamarin today. But uh, one of the things that is cool is you write it in C sharp, but Typically, what they said is you write maybe 70 to 75 percent of your code that gets reused everywhere. So like your business classes and that kind of stuff. And then the interface, the actual UI type stuff, you end up rewriting for most each platform. So they said that 70 to 75 percent of your code is shared across the platforms. And then your UI tier is pretty much done specifically for iOS or Android or Windows or whatever. So 
it's a really cool concept. I've met a lot of great people. Uh, Roger Peters was somebody who, who presented there. Fantastic stuff. Um, you should check him out. Hit him up on uh, Twitter. Uh, he's written he's written some games that he actually originally wrote in Java, and then he brought over to Xamarin for Windows and ported that over to iOS. So if you go into the Apple Store and you look for Word Search, I believe it was the name of the game, right? No, it was – oh, great. <laughs> it was uh, like my big word book. We'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, we'll, we'll add that to the show notes. But he's done something on there. I've actually run it on uh, my Android phone, and it looks good. And so, you know, check it out. This is what people are actually doing with Xamarin. So really cool stuff. And uh, along those, go ahead. I was going to say, you know, when I first heard of Xamarin, I was like, okay, that's kind of cool. But, you know, I, I feel a little weird about starting a new project on a platform I'm not familiar with and, you know, in the language I'm familiar with and having this weird layer of abstraction. But, man, let me tell you, if you have a big code base and you don't want to port all those objects over, if you don't want to redo that that logic in another language, if you don't want to maintain that, then this is a perfect option. And really, from what I've seen from Xamarin, it looks like a great option for greenfield type stuff too. You know, why mess around with the stuff you're unfamiliar with when you can focus on the actual application itself? It's just beautiful. This doesn't come from you trying to screw with uh, Xcode at all, does it? Or uh, <laughs> or Objective C? Oh man, it absolutely does. <laughs> absolutely. All right. So uh, with that, though, we also we met a bunch of great people there, and the the Xamarin meetup was actually hosted by a company called BlueTube. And they were the Atlanta users group. And, again, fantastic time. We learned a lot and got a lot of useful information. They did a pretty deep dive on some of it. And go ahead. No, I was just going to – I felt like we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't uh, correct it. So it was the Word Search Little Books was the uh, the app. But he did have a new one out there. It was called uh, Match and Go. And you can find him at uh, smartypantscoding.com or on Twitter at – what was it? Smarty. At Smarty P. At Smarty P, yeah. And so uh, Bluetube did the Xamarin meetup. They hosted it. It met a lot of great people there. Uh, Paul Pisano was one. And and they've got another meetup coming up in Cincinnati, Ohio. I forget the date. We'll get it in the show notes. But definitely, if you guys get a chance, I mean, they didn't just they didn't bring a bunch of fluff. Like, there was a lot of content to this. So if you're interested in Xamarin going to be up in Cincinnati, Ohio, definitely go check them out. You know, it's funny, last episode we talked about, you know, like leveling up as a, uh, as a coder and career paths and yada yada. We didn't really mention meetups or going to user groups. Yeah. And it's a great way to learn without having to invest that much time. So you get a kind of high level overview, you get to see a nice demo and just get to see what's out there without having to invest a lot of your own time. Yeah, and really the cool thing is, even if you don't think that it's probably what's going to be right up your alley, you should probably check out some of these anyways because I, I've been to some that I didn't think I'd be that excited about. And you get there and you find some really cool stuff. And you meet a lot of great people too. So uh, definitely something to check out. Yeah, I always thought it was kind of a fun idea to like go to a meetup that you know nothing about. Just like kind of search one for the week and say, all right, what do I? What absolutely sounds foreign to me and just go and see what happens. It's, it's just like a water cooler talk, right? Basically, you go from one thing and so many more topics come up that you didn't anticipate or expect. So you get a wide breadth of knowledge real quick that, you know, if you want to dive deeper on, you can. Um, and, and so the last thing we have under the podcast news for today is uh, reviews in iTunes. So currently we have 14 five-star reviews in iTunes. And no, we'd love you to be the 15th. Yes, yes. So please, if you would, um, you know, I know you guys listen in the cars and all that. But if you remember, please, when you get home or on your iPhone, you know, when you take it a break at work, 
uh, drop in, click the five star. You know, four would be rough, but if you go ahead and do that five star and leave us some feedback, that and would you know be what? Awesome. If if you're the sixteenth five star, we won't take it away from you, or you're the seventeenth or the eighteenth. Right. Um, but we will, we do want to point out that uh, PJR underscore ATL left us a great review in iTunes, as did A3 Electronics with a KS at the end. Uh, we appreciate both of those. So thank you very much for taking the time to go up there and leave us some feedback. You're awesome. Yep. All right. So moving right along. Yep. Here we go. So, oh, yeah, that's me. So uh, this week we are talking about SQL. Yes. And I'm surprised that no one jumped on my throat there. Uh, that's often a point of contention there. I actually call it SQL, and everyone I know has called it SQL, but I've heard rumors of people actually saying SQL. That's just too much to say. SQL's much better. Yeah. But uh, speaking of that and kind of ignorance around SQL, how much should devs really know? I mean, we've got ORMs now, right? Do I even need to know how to write queries anymore? Man, this is this is a really tough topic uh, as far as that's concerned because depends on what you do, right? Like if you're working on websites, you probably need to know a lot about it. And depending on the type of stuff you're doing on the website, if you're writing reports, you better know a lot about it. Well, I don't even think it necessarily like you have you don't have to be the guy working on the website, but you could still be impacting the guy working on the website. Absolutely, yeah. So I mean, to Joe's point, you know, I'm I'm thinking specifically in like an entity framework kind of world. Yeah, you still kind of want to poke around and see like what gibberish got spit out for you, and uh, did it make sense? Well, even just while you're working, there's going to be a point when you're like, "Hey, the data I expected to come back didn't come back," and if you can't just go to the database and write a little quick query to see what's in there, then you're going to be spending a lot of time debugging. Yeah, so I would say that starting out, obviously, as with anything programming-wise, you're not going to know everything, but definitely. You should know all the types of joins, I would say, as a developer. You need to know all the types of joins. Indexing, we're going to go over in this, so you'll know a little bit about it, but you at least need to know what it does. Partitioning, that might be a DBA's job. You're probably not going to be partitioning tables yourself as a developer. Uh, It depends on how many hats you wear in the company, but there's definitely a set of things that you need to be aware of, and we're going to try and go over all those, or at least a ton of those in this just things that we we feel that you use on fairly a daily if not weekly basis yep and you know i'm sure everyone out there knows somebody or maybe you know does this themselves where basically it's like you get kind of lazy and you don't want to join so you kind of select from one table and you copy paste the id and you select from another table and you paste the id and uh, that's something i try to stay away from because eventually i end up needing that query and it's just so much easier if you just write it up front yeah, and save it off in like a miscellaneous folder where you can just go back and get that stuff. So, um, let's 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 start on one topic. How do you choose your database server? And I did a ton of reading on the various different opinions on this because as everybody or as most people on the web know, MySQL is pretty much the most popular open source database on the planet. All right, does that mean you should use it? Maybe, maybe not. Michael's got a huge smile. Oh, I can't wait for you to finish this. Um. Yeah, I have no idea where he's getting ready to go. Yeah, you're about this. to get pounced on. <laughs> yeah, so MySQL's huge. Uh, it pretty much, like I said, open source-wise, it kills it. Now, you start getting into other things like Postgres, depending on where you look it up, I think it's actually pronounced PostgresQL. So this one is open source, like MySQL, except it's more along the lines of an Oracle database. So if you need true transactional stuff in ACID, 
then PostgreSQL is the one open source free one that you can go for that has more of a real grown up type approach to things. Uh, then you get into the big boys like Microsoft SQL Server and Oracle, and they're, they they have their Express editions. But you didn't mention DB two. <laughs> <laughs> like like wow. Okay, DB2 still that, exists. That's hurt. That hurts. Still exists. Well, you're going to mention DB2. You might as well mention Access since that's probably a little more popular and than Fox DB2. And Fox Pro. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so, so here's the thing. Like, and there was, there was an article I read that was pretty interesting. So somebody was asking, should I go with Microsoft SQL Server Express or Oracle Express? And here was, here was an interesting thing. If you think it's never going to grow past a certain point, choose either one of them. doesn't matter, right? Uh, but if you think it's going to outgrow because both of them have space require or, or space limitations that if your database grows past a certain point, you can no longer use it and you have to upgrade to either the big boy SQL server or the big boy Oracle. And then you're starting to run into bucks. Yeah. Big boy bucks. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This is, this is where I was going with this though, because like we all know the real answer. Like how do you pick your database? How much money you want to spend? Yeah. 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 It's, like that, that's, that's question number one. How much money you want to spend? Yeah. Because, if you're not willing to come out of pocket, then right out of the gate, you're looking at something like Postgres or MySQL or NoSQL. You know, I mean, you're looking at an open source kind of alternative right out, right before you even start. Absolutely. So even Microsoft SQL Server Express or Oracle Express, the only reason I could possibly think to use those if I was working on a little side project that I was messing with, if I was really planning on putting anything in a production environment. If I didn't have funding for it, I'm probably not using either of those unless I've got like a shared hosting space or an Azure where I can pay a certain amount of month to use those kind of features without really blowing it out. Because paying for these licenses out of pocket, you're going to kill yourself. Like, oh, no. it's horrible. Yeah. You like, mean you don't have an Oracle rack install at home? Right. It, you right know, come on. A few I got one of those in my car. It, it costs more than your house in most cases, right? So that's one interesting thing. Now, going back to the open source ones, because I think this is where a lot of people will be interested in just hearing about databases. So let's, let's start with MySQL. One of the reasons why it's so incredibly popular and you guys jump in whenever you want is because it's fast. It's really fast and it's free, right? Some of the downsides to MySQL are they don't use standard ANSI SQL language. They have their own thing. So uh, they don't have these things like common table expressions, which other languages have adopted. They don't have... Um, like their subquery language is not standard and it's not fast. It doesn't perform all that well. If you're doing straight SQL statements out of it, it's good. They're ACID. They are not truly ACID compliant. So they do have, they do have transactional um, implementations in place so that if you have foreign key constraints and all that stuff, it does do ACID on that. However, triggers don't enforce that. So they aren't fully ACID compliant all the way through. And ACID basically means that if you have a transaction or if you have something that fails in a transaction, it rolls it back or it commits it all. That's to basically make sure that your data's integrity stays good. MySQL doesn't comply all the way across the board, whereas something like PostgreSQL does. So there are things like that. But that there's little differences between all of them, though. I mean, it doesn't... There are. There are. Know, I mean, even even between, like... Even even if we look at you know the upper end where you're going to come out of pocket right and you're looking at like a DB2 or a SQL Server or an Oracle, yeah, you know, there, there's differences even between like something like with uh, I ran into one recently. And I want to say it was something like Oracle the 
string values, you know, wouldn't take in a null, a, a true null for it or something like that. Like mm. I, I forget what it was. And it went and, and it went back to like the early days of Oracle and they had made a, a design decision early on and they just decided, okay, well, we're going to carry this forward, you know, all these years later. But I will say though, when you get into most of the other big boy databases, they really are fully compliant across the board. Like if you're worried about data integrity, they're going to work, right? Oracle, SQL Server, DB2, those have well, yeah, but what I meant though is like, you know, you you, you were you were, <laughs> I I I felt like you were beaten up on MySQL in terms no. of like query, but you know, in the differences of how, of its query structure, um, and like how syntax. you might write your yeah, yeah the actual syntax of how you might write the query for MySQL versus something else, and I felt like well, come on, I've I've had problems where like. You know, especially if you're if you do any kind of function calls inside your query, you know, the function call for Oracle might be a little bit different than the one in DB2 might be a little bit different than the one in SQL Server. So, I mean, they all have their their trade offs in, in that regard. Well, though. one of the big selling points for MySQL other than just speed is the fact that it's very easy for people to use. And that's that is, if nothing else, a huge boon for them. Right. I mean, if you can pick something up and relatively easily get started using it, and that's what MySQL brings to the table. And there, there was there was another thing also. So this is one thing that I found interesting oh, and frustrating. Here's, here's the exact one that I found. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, go ahead. It was it was that uh, a varchar column in Oracle. Wait, wait, is it varchar or varcar? I say car. Varcar. Thank you. Okay. All right, go ahead. <laughs> I stand correct. <laughs> varcar. Yes. A column in Oracle uh, was that you know, the empty strings were null. So in SQL Server, for example, you could have a, a column or a car column that that uh, you know you could insert an empty string in, and it was an empty string. Okay. It was different than null. Whereas in Oracle, that same query you would write it's it is null. Uh, it's treated it is null in Oracle, so when you retrieve the data back, you're getting back null. Interesting. Okay, yeah. So there's little differences like that that can they can bite you. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they will be. And they'll be frustrating. So again, going with MySQL though, fast, easy. Uh it's not perfect. Like you can't so one of the things that I found frustrating when I first started trying to mess around with MySQL was you cannot create defaults of non deterministic values. So like in SQL Server, you can do a get date. Or oh, you can do right. some sort of formula. Or you can call a function or something. You can't do it in MySQL. They have one situation where you can because they changed it, I think, where you can call the now function. But they they definitely they have some limitations, but people find ways to work around them. Uh, there was another one for getting uh, row counts and stuff. There's just a lot of oddities. Now, moving over to PostgreSQL, the the drawback to it has always been it doesn't perform quite as well as MySQL. However, it is more of a standard. It, it's almost like a baby version of Oracle, apparently, is what it boils down to. And so they have things like real store procs, functions. You can have defaults that are um, non-deterministic. You can, you can do a lot of things, and their subquery performance is good. So, and it also has a more grown-up tool set. Um, as far as being able to do standard database type stuff, things that you would expect for a, a an enterprise level DB to handle. So again, not knocking on either one of them. Those are just a couple of things. Those are some things to keep in mind. And apparently it's performance. Are you, are has gotten you a lot calling better. PHP my admin, not a mature <laughs> tool? Now I will that, say 
That feels wrong. I will say, if you guys have messed with MySQL Workbench, it's actually a very nice tool. When did that happen? Have you not done it? No, I have. Uh, I mean, it's been years, but I always bought Navicat, which is a nice pay-for program, but I couldn't stand Workbench, and I couldn't stand doing it through console either, which I've done. Oh, yeah, console console can be a little bit frustrating. But Show no, tables. MySQL Workbench is actually pretty decent, so if you get a chance to check that out, you should. Um, but all of us here, we're I'm pretty much... We're, we're SQL Server guys simply because in the jobs we've worked, being a .NET shop, it almost always goes hand in hand with SQL Server, right? I yeah, I was surprised that. when you said there was a there was a choice there because to me it's like <laughs> you know when you're talking about SQL Server or Oracle, unless there's a hard reason you know that you need one or the other that your DBA you know insists on one or the other, then uh, Enterprise Manager is so much nicer than whatever Oracle's tool is called. I've bl- you know, blown it out of my mind. I, I don't want to think about it anymore. But the Enterprise Manager is so nice. It is good. I, I, yeah, I honestly can't stand behind that statement that you said though. What? Which one? Well, when you were talking about like you know us being pretty much SQL Server guys like no way i I, i've i I have probably spent an equal amount of time in my career on each of the big three. Oh, really? between oracle sql server and db2 yes interesting i've been in in various capacities db what yeah (laughs) db also (laughs) (laughs) me too guys me too uh yeah i mean it's depend you know and, and that's been from uh, but that wasn't you know, working on .NET though, right? No, uh, that that is it is. Oh, I've really? done I've done I've done plenty of, um, you know, well even going back even prior to .NET, um, but even you know specific and specifically to .NET, I've done plenty of development in uh, DB2 and Oracle as well as SQL Server. Interesting. So it's just it, and that's why I say like it, <clears throat> it's really depending on like there's so much more, but a big part of it was like. You know, the client had the money and yeah. they were, they thought, you know what? I already have the engineering uh, behind Oracle yep. and I know what Oracle can do for me. And I really like Oracle. So we're going to go Oracle. Or there've been other times where it's like, well, we don't really have a preference, but there's this other tool set over here that already has some nice integration into DB2. So let's just use DB2 since we already run, you know, we already have it. Right. right. And, and they'll piggyback on that license for some, you know. So, yeah, I, I, I've definitely spent a mix of my career across the three. Cool. Yeah, I've mostly been in SQL Server. You too? Yep, same. Yeah. So my SQL. It, it's, it seems that, like, just from a perspective of the big boys, it seems like SQL Server is the easiest to set up um, just out of the gate. And from what I understand, and I, I'm not that well-versed with Oracle, but apparently it's very much a la carte. Like every little piece that you want added in addition, you're paying a decent amount of salaries for. Mm -hmm. So whereas SQL Server, you kind of buy the addition you want and you get all the functionality out of it. And, And here's the thing. You can set up SQL Server like you can basically run the install and you're up and running. If you want it to, to run like a finely tuned machine, like a Porsche or a Ferrari or something, you really need people who understand how to set things up properly, like partitioning your disks out and all that kind of stuff. But well, that's going to be true of any 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 database. I mean, but and part of that, even before you start with the database, start set the operating system. Yeah. Especially if you're going to be in like any kind of Unix, uh, you know, variant. Yeah, so it, it's, again, all these bring something to the table. But we just kind of wanted to give you some ideas of how things are chosen. Um, it, sometimes it boils down to the resources they have in-house. Like I mentioned about the Windows developers earlier, right? Like if you have a bunch of Oracle DBAs, you're not installing SQL Server. You're putting Oracle on your system. So uh, the big boys, they're all fairly compar- uh, comparable nowadays. 
you know, it, it just depends on how deep of pockets the companies are that are willing to use that stuff. I just thought it was pretty funny. Like, if you talk to, like, a typical Java developer and ask them about databases, they'll typically say something like, Oracle, but people actually use SQL Server? I thought that was a joke. And you go talk to a .NET developer, and it's the total opposite. Like, Oracle, are you, could you, are you joking? Right. It, it and is. then you meet me, and you're like, "Wait, what?" Yeah, like, yeah, you're just messing, you're just messing with me. No, and then then you have the other people in the NoSQL camp, right? Which is document storage stuff. So that that's a whole another ball of wax, which we're not going to get in today. But be aware, there's a bunch of NoSQL databases out there now. Uh, yeah, I feel like if you know if you're looking at the free open source route, then your your decision is really MySQL or Postgres, and you're probably going to go MySQL. Even though uh, everyone on the internet talks like Postgres is really, you know, really nice, but uh, everyone There's ends up a using ton MySQL. Of resources for MySQL. Oh yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I know personally, I've done you know work just in MySQL. I hadn't, I didn't bother. And for me, it just came down to, uh, you know, at the time, to- at at those times, there was just a ton of information available to work around MySQL. Yeah, every single WordPress site by default uh, yep. runs with MySQL. So every question that can be asked has been asked of it. Yeah, it, actually, that's one of the reasons why I've used MySQL is because not just WordPress, but a ton of open source projects go straight for MySQL. They don't even look at anything else. So it's like, okay, if I want to work with this stuff, then I'm just going to go this route and make it easy on myself. So, you know, definitely some things to keep in mind. Anyone done any .NET for MySQL? I have not. Nope. Uh, we, we're, we're zero for three. Yeah. I've thought about I don't it, think I but have, I haven't. No. Yeah, I don't know what the license is for Postgres, but uh, I know uh, MySQL. MIT. MIT. Is it really? So yeah. you can you, you can, can distribute do whatever it you want. That's enough reason to use it right there. Is MySQL is not. I think it's GPL. So if you want to distribute that sucker, like you want to embed it inside your application that you install on other people's computers, forget about it. You're going to be paying some bucks. Oh, and, and by the way, if you have no idea what we're talking about with the GPL, the MIT, what session was that, guys? Five. Uh, man, trick question, really? Yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing that. Uh, so we do have. An, we did an episode on licensing. Yeah, and. We still don't understand open source licensing was the name of it. I don't know which one it was. Somebody's going to look it up while I randomly spout crap. There we go. Did you get it? I'll keep spouting. Uh, it's oh, I'm still spouting oh, no, crap it's, then. It's episode five. Episode oh. five, yeah. We still don't open. We still don't understand open source licensing. So if you want to check that out, www.codingblocks.net slash episode five. But that is a huge And that's deal. what real-time note-taking looks like. That's right. <laughs> and that's huge, though. So seriously, the MIT thing means that basically you can do whatever you want with it. You don't have to do – you do it. It's yours. So that's beautiful. Just got to give credit. Yep, got to give credit where credit's due. All right, so now I want to get into something before we actually start hitting on the meat of some of this conversation was – one of the things when I was writing my blog article about the, the database schemas, I started looking at doing hierarchies. And so if you know what a hierarchy is in a database table, usually you have, let's just talk about a simple employee table. You have an employee that has an employee ID, and then you have a manager ID, all right? And then essentially all that manager ID field is is a link to another employee ID. So literally you can have this parent-child or relationship. Or a foreign key if or, we're going to be... It's a foreign key, yeah. yeah uh, but more it, grammatical. In the case of that, literally, your your primary key is employee ID. Your foreign key is, ma- is the manager ID column that points back to the employee ID. So you have a parent-child relationship. SQL Server makes that so easy to query. You can do a hierarchical hierarchical common table fast. Yeah, common table expression to where literally you can say, "All right, spit me out 
everything where uh, this manager, all the employees under this manager at any level. It's right, so may, easy. Maybe to we write. need to back up though. Maybe we need to define CTEs before we uh, get too far. Common table expression. Well, I mean beyond just the uh, acronym blown so, out. So go ahead. You'll know it when you see it. Okay, you'll know <laughs> it when you see it. No, it's like an in-memory uh, query result. Yep. That's the, the the short answer to it. You could do a query, stuff those results into memory, and then later you can write a query to uh, scan that result that previous result and then it gets thrown away it's no longer in scope after it's used the first time it disappears and you can at least in sql server they have this um they have this idea of of recursive ctes to where it can literally just you know do exactly what i was talking about build the relationship so getting into that one of yeah the but it looks so weird when you see a recursive because at first you're like Wait a minute. I'm I'm writing the CTE, so I have like my as blah 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 statement, and then and then it's selecting from itself, but yet it's still not finished. Right. So how does it know? Where it's so I... beautiful. You'll dream about it if you ever see. It's one. just so it, it just it's like it. This is one of those scenarios where it's just wor- it just works, but you kind of question it as you write it. <laughs> it looks weird to me, but I think Alan's really grokked it. Like he just he kind of lives and breathes CTEs. <laughs> I, I really do like CTEs, so. He has an unnatural obsession with SQL in general, though. Yeah, I might. It's kind of like JavaScript. I'm the lone man here. But so here was the thing that came up when I was designing something the other day in MySQL that really frustrated me. So when you code something... Wait a minute, in a MySQL database? Yeah, MySQL database. So I was was messing with that because I wanted to get my head wrapped around all this stuff, right? Okay, I'm with you. And, And here was my frustration. So SQL Server makes it to where you can literally just set up your table, employee and manager, right? You have those two columns in there. And if you want to query them, bam, you got your CTE, you're done. My SQL, not so. You want to pull that out now. You've basically got to write yourself some sort of stored proc or some sort of method that is going to loop all your results. So you're going to say, all right, select everything where the manager ID is one. All right, that gives me my set of results. All right, now loop over those results and give me everything where those IDs match up. So literally, you just keep looping and looping and looping until you get your entire. So set. so let's 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 build out an example, right? If you were trying to do a query to bring that to 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 pull in the full management chain, so starting at the top of the management chain, you have you know the CEO, and you want you know where 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 he's the the um, manager ID. But then the query will recursively find all of the managers that report to him. Yep. Then all the managers that report to him, and right. all the managers report to them. Right. Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah. that, that's what you're trying to describe. Yep. So you could go five, six, seven levels steep, right? So here's my problem with that SQL Server. I can do it in in like basically what would be two queries, right? I feel it, like we're on a game show. Mm-hmm. So I can write that query in one query. <laughs> Boom. But if you go into MySQL, like literally, you're not writing queries. You're writing looping logic to say, all right, give me all these guys. All right, now give me these guys as guys. Now give me these guys as guys. And so literally, you're looping until you've filled up maybe a temp table or something that you then return out at the end. So so here was my question. When you go to program something like uh, an application for MySQL, do you program to its deficiencies? So in the case that... You've got, um, do, do you code around the fact that you can't do a hierarchical query? Oh, I uh, totally would. I mean, yeah, you once you start no about 
Well, once you start talking about doing loops in SQL, I'm like, uh-uh, no cursors. Yeah, nope, I mean, that's a cursor. Code. I got link, yo. So, so I guess that's my thing is, is at that point then, so let, let's think about it from, let's think about it from a category of products on a website. Everybody's used to looking at that stuff, right? So you go on Newegg and I think that's probably pretty good for this show. Cause I, if you haven't heard of Newegg, you should go there immediately. Pause this and go look. Well, uh, don't pause. Oh yeah. Listen while you're going, you're fine. So you go over there and you go to the computers category, right? And then under computers, you're going to have laptops and desktops and servers, right? And then under laptops, you're going to have ultrabooks and whatever. So you've got all these categories. Well, whatever's put at that bottommost category belongs to that top one. If you have a laptop down here, you have a MacBook Pro down at the very bottom under, you know, awesome laptops, it's going to show up under computers as well. So... Here was my thing. If I'm programming a database that cannot do this kind of stuff, do I insert a uh, a relationship record for that MacBook Pro to the computer category and the laptop category and the awesome laptop category? Or do I just put it at the awesome laptop category and then write my loop to go get all the data? You see what I'm saying? Yeah, I mean, you're talking about like trying to... like. Do you really your question should be, do you make your data ugly because of deficiencies in, in the language, in the in the, the SQL uh, language or the functionality database manager that you're using? Or do you, you know, code around it? So or do you let the ORM do it? <clears throat> oh, but the ORM wouldn't buy anything. You'd still have to loop in the ORM, right? Uh, well, I would like. Well, yeah, I guess for a CTE. Yeah. So I guess that's my question. Like, how would you go about doing that? As as a person who's having to deal with this database, we know that some handle it gracefully, and others you've got to create these crazy hacks. What would you do? Would you insert more data to make your queries easier to write and faster? By the way, because if you're looping, you're slowing things down, and you're actually eating up a lot of read writes from the database. Or do you just write a bunch more records so you're filling up disk space? But now. Now you got a maintenance problem as well because if you ever decide to take that thing out of that top level, I definitely don't like the additional data. That that sounds gross. No, like that where you query every every row. That's like a, yeah, that's the n plus one problem. That's no good. But uh, you know, I, the thing with CTEs for me is I end up like needing like two a year, and uh, I just ask Alan for help. <laughs> uh, it's not really a big problem for me. I don't know. It, it's it's always one of those things. That, you know, as a programmer, even if it's not SQL, you run into this deficiency and whatever this this gaping hole in whatever you're programming in, and you look at it and you go, "Really, I got to do this?" And I know it's not going to perform well, and I know it's going to be a resource hog because now I got to loop a hundred thousand times to get this stuff right. Seems like something where like maybe you use a view. How, how do you do a view that's that links itself to itself to itself? Join, 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 join. And that's what you typically Take a see. Max depth. That's actually what you see a lot of times is people will say, you know what, screw this. It'll never be more than 10 levels deep. <laughs> and then they'll join itself, you know, 10 times. Uh, I'm sorry. I mentioned the view then. <laughs> I'll take so, that back. I don't oh, I've know. done it before, no doubt. Just some food for thought. Like I don't, I don't really know the right answer to this. I, I know that I don't really like any of the solutions. Well, it makes me question: like, could the data be structured differently, though, that you wouldn't need to do that? <clears throat> yes, it can. Recursive uh, query because yes. because the you you your deficiency here is only because of the way you structure the data. But if the data had been structured differently then it might not be a problem it could be moot i'll tell you exactly how you can do it because i've done this in the past before sql server had ctes this is how you do it so 
that is a true normalized format that we were just talking about where you have the the child and the parent record in the same row right that or in the same table that's truly normalized that's good a way you can do it and joe selko as far as i know came up with this essentially what you do is you have a left and a right on every record so let's let's go back to the employee state right so you have a manager who's at the top let's say his left value is one and his right value is a thousand all right he is the owner uh, he is the boss of everybody in the company so now let's say that he has a manager under him that has a few employees under him so his left is going to be two because it's inside now the the outer guys so the top guy has a one and a thousand the second guy is a two and we'll say a hundred because let's say that he has like 50 people under him right right now he's got a dude under him that doesn't have any reports he's going to be three and four all right so his left is three his right is four there's nobody that can fall in between his numbers all right so then let's say that the person next to him also doesn't have any reports. His numbers are going to be five for his left and six for his right. All right. So they fall in between. Now you go. Inserts are going to be hell. They are. And that's where the problem comes. But this is how you can query it easily. So now let's say that the person next to him, right? So we had five and six. The person, I don't want to think of any more people. Let's just go to the query. <laughs> all right. So the query for this is actually really easy. You want to see everybody in the company? Give me, give me the dude at the top, select everything from this table where left is in between one and a thousand. You now have everybody under him. Now show me, show me everybody in the company that is, um, under him who is a direct report. All right. Select everything from the table where left, where left is between one and a thousand and right equals left plus one. So Literally now you have basically you flattened out that structure, but the problem is is anytime you have an insert God, that seems like a nightmare. Yeah, you got to adjust. I the mean, whole like tree. maybe in a contrived example like you're given here, but like if we're talking about Newegg as the as the example, because <clears throat> that's that's where this spawned, right? It was like t- we were, you no, brought no, up Newegg as a, just as a product so you catalog. could have the category stuff, right? But okay, but I mean like in the okay, but going back to the blog article that we mentioned that you wrote earlier, that was specifically around. Uh, like product catalog type, you know, product to attribute type um, but I situation. But the hierarchies right? there yet, so. Right, but that's where I was thinking about that. And, and you know, if you had a uh, a catalog the size of a new egg, that that scheme that you are dis- uh, describing would be a nightmare, as Joe pointed out. In fairness, typically when that has been done, it's not something that's live. You generally speaking generate that table. <laughs> Yeah, I was just thinking like uh, we're talking about new egg and stuff. I would throw that stuff into something like Solar or Elasticsearch. Yeah, you wouldn't it, you wouldn't really use this for that. But when you go to that method in databases that have those deficiencies, the problem where they can't query hierarchically, typically what you do is you have something. If this is data that doesn't change a lot, if it's data that changes a lot, you have problems because then you have to come up ways to to grow the tree underneath it, and that means growing all the way up. So typically what you do is this is a table to where the data isn't all that that um, transactional. And so you generate that table that has your left and your rights. It makes querying incredibly fast. Well, I could see it as like a one-time kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So it's something to where like maybe you have nightly builds of a table that you push out. So, But you, now you had to write a query to generate that. Yeah, yeah. No, then you write your recursive <laughs> loop one time that generates that table that you can query so easy 
that it's so that's one way that you can go about it. And so for anybody who didn't follow along here, I will try and find a link to that, to what that structure looks like. Um, but it, it's it's a way to get around a deficiency, and that's that's kind of what I'm saying is it, it seems like there are times where you have to hack things just to be able to work with a particular database system. Yeah, so. databases just um, relational databases just aren't that good at storing trees. No, but you know, for something specific to like a, an e-commerce situation, there are search engines which um, store things a little bit differently that just work perfectly for that use case. Solar being one, which yep. was mentioned, S O L R, and it's uh, it's outstanding. I, heck, all the big boys use them. Yeah, I think it's called like reverse index databases or something. Where it basically uh, kind of turns the concept of um, it really abuses the concept of indexes and just really stores the data in a in a range in a bunch of different ways that makes searching much quicker. Yep. Let's let's get into some resources we like. Let let's change the uh, bring it down a notch. Yeah, here we go. Ease your brains up a little bit. Uh, the one that I like is Mastering C Sharp. It's uh, it's a book that I downloaded through Kindle, and I don't remember how much it was, but it is a fantastic C-sharp reference. It, it's, it goes into things like the CLR. It goes all into interfaces, hiding, all things that we've talked about before. I mean, if you really want to, to become an expert at C-sharp, this book is a very handy guide, and it reads well. Like I, I find that I just read through it as opposed to skip around like I do in a lot of reference books. It, it reads very well, so it walks you through examples and all that. So Mastering C-Sharp, we'll have a link on the show notes for this. And that's mine. You got an author for that? Oh, God, somewhere. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, I think I do. Go ahead with yours. So I'll just spew about random garbage then. While there, we, there we go. Okay. Right. So so while he's looking up that, I'm going to go into a resource that I stumbled across that I, I like. So there are times when you're out there in the wild and you just need to know, hey, man, what, what IP does the – external world see me as right now right what's my what's my ip now there's some websites out there and you know even google has built this in to where you could just you know search what's my ip and google will tell you but that's not the fun way of doing it though you sometimes you want like a little humor in your day right so i'm gonna spell this one out follow along with me <laughs> it's a wtf is m y ip com. WTF is my IP.com. Yes, that's right. WTF <laughs> is my IP.com. <laughs> and, and there is some true gold on that. So, <clears throat> uh, how can I say this? So, it's going to tell you what your IP address is, <laughs> but just pretend, like read it as if an angry person from Brooklyn was telling you what your IP was. And you know what? Hey, maybe you'd like to know what headers your browser is using. Or maybe maybe you have a need to get this in the form of XML or JSON. Well, guess what? You can. And if you look at the XML representation or the JSON representation, again, I want you to picture that angry Brooklyn person telling you <laughs> these values. It's Lewis Black's IP address. It is hilarious. <laughs> you know, just just it's it's those little nuggets of humor through the day that get get us by, right? That's, this is one of those resources. Yeah, all. and now that you've gone to that website while you're listening to the podcast, we should probably tell you that it's not safe for work. Yeah, yeah, don't do that. Well, that's actually where I was going to go to next because then imagine that your boss asks you and you can just send him this <laughs> URL. Yeah. And then he's going to be like, hey, wait a minute. And you can be like, no, seriously, try it. <laughs> That's like instant promotion right there, because then he's gonna get some humor out of it. 
All right, so now that the fun stuff's out of the way, let me back up. I was completely wrong. It was not Mastery in C-Sharp. Actually, I think I've seen that book, and I didn't like it. This is C-Sharp 5 Unleashed. (laughs) (laughs) So... Uh, uh, let me, let me, a little creative with the edits here. Let me be politically <laughs> correct. WTFismybook.com. <laughs> uh, well, it I'm does glad have I a asked. stupid cover. Oh, man. <laughs> well, what she, I looked it up on Amazon. I was like, mm, Alan. No, no, it's not uh, that. One. All right, so hold on. Going back, going wait, back here. What was the name of that again? <laughs> all right. So the book that I was talking about is actually C-Sharp 5 Unleashed. And it is by Bart DeSmet is the author. And it's a fantastic book. Uh, Like I said, it reads well, all that kind of stuff. So uh, that would be my resource. (laughs) (laughs) And your thoughts on mastering C-Sharp. Dude, I've actually looked at that book. It was terrible. All right, so <laughs> I really did just look at it on Amazon. I was like, mm, I'm not putting that in the show notes. Dude. Oh. And I think uh, I did that twice. That was awesome. All right, so now Sorry let's m- move on to the tips of the week. What we got, Jay Z? Yep, we've been talking about SQL. So I'd like to mention a free tool put out by Redgate called SQL Search. And if you're familiar with Redgate, uh, it's typically very expensive and awesome products, but oh, SQL Search... tools are fantastic. Yeah, they really are. I love SQL Search. It's basically a plug-in for, um, for SQL Server Management Studio, and it allows you to search SQL really quickly. So you can do stuff like, uh, you know, look up a column, and you're like, oh, man, what was first name in again? Or where was address? So you just kind of type in a couple letters, hit enter, and it finds it really quickly. It looks at all your columns, and uh, it's just really fast and a really great way to work. Well, they, they, their tool set, though, is just extreme. I mean, they had one, like, it would, it would do, like, schema diffs, if I recall. Yeah, you but, can like, check in your database. The one, the one absolute that was my favorite, and it's the most basic of features, I really don't understand why Microsoft hasn't included this in SQL Server, SQL Server Management Studio, is the SQL formatter. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was my favorite part of having the Redgate tool suite. I would agree. But I actually got, I have a web page I go to and I paste it in. Oh, you, there's a better one if you're worried oh, about yeah. that. Notepad plus plus. Yeah, he he, uh, he turned me on to that. Yeah, nice. the poor man's T T SQL formatter. It's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it, and and you don't have to worry about somebody actually but, stealing your queries. So <laughs> those are all fine and dandy, but the 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 downside is is that you're copying it out of yeah. one tool to put it into another tool, format it, and then bring it Agreed. back. Right. And that's why, like, like I said, Regate has some fantastic tools, but my absolute favorite one is probably the one that is took them the least amount of time to build, and that's the uh, SQL formatter. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right, so my pick of the week is the Navigate 2 feature in Visual Studio, and it's one of those features that doesn't exist in any menus anywhere, so if you don't know about it, you just don't know about it. If you didn't know to look for it, you don't know about it. So the the use case is, let's say that you named a method and you can't remember exactly what you named it, but you're pretty sure that you used the word pricing and you might have used the word calculator in it somewhere. But you don't know if you called it calculate price or, or price calculator or what it was. What you can do 
is if you hit control and the comma key inside Visual Studio, you can type in one word and then space another word, and it will actually do a fuzzy search through your files for you. So it will look for those two words anywhere in that file. So instead of having to write some nasty regex in a file search, you do this and you can quickly come up with your, your uh, pages that have your methods in there that you thought you made. So that's, that's a fantastic little feature that they just don't document. Nice. All right. And uh, so here's one that, that, well, it was new to me. All right. So in uh, one of the meetups, I was at a, a Windows phone meetup earlier this week. And uh, they, they referenced this tool that, well, first I'm going to tell you what it is before I get into the name of it. And what it does is it's a way to create uh, HTML5 and JavaScript 2D games. Um, but then once you have, you could create the game in this tool, which is called Construct2. And we'll have links to it in the show notes. But if you wanted to export that out to one of many different app stores, uh, obviously uh, the Windows App Store was one of them that they uh, demoed. Um, but there was also you know other stores in there, uh, like the Amazon's App Store was included, um, you know, as well as all the big ones, right? You know, those are by default. But you, you could create this. You could create your your game in this tool and then export that out. And let's say you wanted to go into windows, uh, app store with it, right? What it would do that I thought was really cool was it would create a visual studio solution for you that it didn't even prompt you like, Hey, well, which part of the windows app store do you want to target? Are you targeting desktop or are you targeting mobile? Whether it be phone or tablet, it didn't even prompt you for that. It just says, Oh, you want to go to windows app store? It, builds out the solution, the Visual Studio solution for you that includes both the uh, Windows desktop application as well as the mobile application, whether it be uh, phone or tablet. And I, it was just it was a really cool little tool. There's, I want to play around with this some more. Um, it's not too terribly expensive. It is, you know, priced in pounds. So, um, you know, you can, you can, compare that for yourself but it was a, a very cool little tool and and even in the some of the examples that they were showing in the meetup this week you know they did a an angry burns clone within minutes with it uh just as like some of the default you know baked in functionality that it had and um you know if, if 2d gaming is something that you wanted to be able to do and you wanted to be able to have that app on multiple platforms then construct 2 is uh an application you might want to look into it's really cool so with that, we'll be putting the links in the uh, show notes and as well as uh, there'll be a lot of other information in there, a lot of good information in the show notes that you can go back to. Uh, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, and more using your favorite podcasting app. And as we've mentioned, please, we uh, really appreciate the reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. That goes a long way to help us uh, find new listeners so that they can find us more easily and uh, you know, provides inspiration as well. Also, visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find show notes, examples, discussions, and more. And send your feedback, questions, rants, and comments, and Steam friend invites to comments at codingblocks.net. And make sure you follow us on Twitter at codingblocks. All right. I think that's it, guys. Yeah, I am dead tired, so <laughs> I'm going to play Divinity for maybe two hours and then go to bed. <laughs>